When you came into church this morning, uh, you could already tell that the atmosphere of our church building was very different. Um, the gold frontal uh, or, that was there for the ordinary form Feast of Christ the King uh, last week and the gold altar appointments have been exchanged uh, for uh, the church vests her ministers and her altars in the purple penitential uh, color, the livery which is also of the royalty of Christ. And you'll see that we have exchanged the gold altar appointments for the silver. The normal uh, candles have been replaced by unbleached uh, candles. The Advent wreath is here. Everything about what we see and what we hear is about pulling back, about austerity. Uh, the organ, which usually sounds triumphantly during our masses, uh, is used only for the absolute necessary to sustain congregational singing. Uh, and not just because we want to give Elizabeth a little bit of time off. She's certainly, uh, you know, doing work, getting ready for Christmas. Uh, but precisely because we kind of pull back in every conceivable way. And this is the exact polar opposite of everything we see all around us in the world, isn't it? You can hear the clanging of the Salvation Army bell at every uh, place that you go to. Uh, there are Christmas carols all over the place and, you know, and holiday festivity everywhere in the air. Um, but the thing is, of course, is that uh, it is a cue that what the world thinks of in terms of Christmas or the holiday season, has very little to do with uh, what our Catholic Christian faith encourages us to do in this time of Advent as a preparation for Christmas. Uh, this morning, I got up early in the morning to have breakfast over at Starbucks, and I heard the baristas who were talking amongst themselves uh, uh, so that I overheard them, and they were saying, good God, I'm so sick of Christmas music already, and I thought, my God, it's not even the first Sunday of Advent, right? Um, and it's important for us to remember um, that this celebration of Advent, really entering into the season, is important for us to truly understand what it is that we are celebrating with Christmas. Celebrating Christmas without celebrating Advent is like celebrating the wedding night on your first blind date, I mean, you could do it, I suppose. Uh, not necessarily a very good idea. And it certainly doesn't give you that preparation for what would be a truly joyful uh, and happy relationship uh, for the rest of your lives. And that's why the church, in her wisdom, gives us this holy season of Advent, which has a character of joyful expectation, but also of penance and also of reflection. Sometimes, uh, you know, there are people who tend to be more interested in the genre of science fiction, of literature. Not my thing, but for some of you, you know, you can go to these, you know, Comic-Cons or whatever for all this kind of, you know, science fiction stuff. Uh, and I tell people, well, the Catholic Church is even greater than science fiction because what we do is actually true. It's not fictional. Um, Advent is the time for our time travel in our Catholic faith. Now, of course, the thing is, is that we don't always get this, do we? Because we've reduced the ancient fast of preparation for the commemoration of our Lord's birth into this kind of anemic, generic winter season in which we actually have to remind people that Jesus is the reason for the season. 
You know, we actually have to remind people of this. It's a sign that we have lost our way because we've lost Advent. Remember that Advent comes from the Latin adventus, from advenio, advenire, coming towards. And Advent is a time of entering into this idea of how Jesus Christ comes to us. You may remember that during the season of November, uh, I mentioned a poem by St. Bernard of Clairvaux called De Contempto Mundi. And this same glorious St. Bernard once said, in the first coming, he comes in the flesh and in weakness. In the second, he comes in spirit and in power. In the third, he comes in glory and majesty. And the second coming is the means whereby we pass from the first to the third. Peter Blois explained it this way, There are three comings of our Lord. The first in the flesh, the second in the soul, the third at the judgment. The first was at midnight, According to those words of the gospel, at midnight there was a cry made, Lo, the bridegroom comes. But this first coming is long since past, for Christ has been seen on the earth and has conversed among men. We are now in the second coming, provided that we are such that he may come to us. For he has said that if we love him, he will come to us, and take up his dwelling within us. So that this second coming is full of uncertainty to us, for who can know that we truly are of God? They that are raised out of themselves by the desire for heavenly things know when he comes. But when he comes, or where he goes, they know not. As for the third coming, it is most certain that it will be, most uncertain when it will be, for nothing is more sure than death, and nothing less sure than the hour of death. So that the first coming was humble and hidden, the second is mysterious and full of love, the third will be majestic and terrible. In his first coming, Christ was judged by men unjustly. In his second, he renders us just by his grace. In his third, he will judge all things with justice. In his first, a lamb. In his last, a lion. In the one between the two, the tenderest of friends. The praying church during this season of Advent watches and waits for the three comings of Christ. And so during her sacred liturgy, she borrows from the prophets those expressions of longing for the coming of the Savior, of the Messiah. The church encourages us to actually sit 
with the brokenness that we find in our lives, with the brokenness of the world, for the fact that we cannot do it on our own, that every single one of us needs a Savior. We need to be saved from sin and death, and so often we need to be saved from ourselves. And that He is happy to do that. But we have to sit with that and we have to, to meditate on that and think about that so that we develop that true longing and thirst for something which is beyond what we can provide for ourselves. That is why our Christian culture does not anticipate these things too early, because she wants us to feel all of that in our souls so that we can truly respond to His coming. To be perfectly blunt, not that I'm ever that, if you are shoving in the 300th cookie in your mouth on the first Sunday of Advent, then by the time Christmas rolls around and your Christmas tree is thrown into the wood chipper and the last of the holiday wrapping paper is thrown into the trash can, then you're going to be like, meh, I guess we're just back to normal. But truly entering into the penitential character of Advent, of connecting with that watching and waiting and longing and desire for fulfillment, that is when Christmas has that profound meaning which transforms our souls. Because during this season, the church is not just content with preparing us for yet another anniversary of the birth of the Prince of Peace. We look beyond that towards that future time when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords gathers up everything in Himself at the end of time whether it be the end of our time or the end of all time. It's kind of strange when we think about this whole vision of the lion and the lamb together, isn't it? Because they would seem to be natural enemies. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6 prophesies, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. A time of peace, when there will be no natural enemies, because violence and hatred will be conquered by the Christ child and his princely reign of love. But we know that that prophecy, the fulfillment of that prophecy was seen by John in the book of Revelation in the Apocalypse, chapter 5. One of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the symbolic representation of the hope for a messianic kingdom, is one with the lamb who is sacrificed, led to the slaughter for our sins. In other words, it is only Christ and in Christ that the lions and the lambs in our lives can be reconciled. 
It is only in Christ that we have our truest friend, the one who shows us not only the price of love, but how love restores in us the very image and likeness of Almighty God.